You're listening to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RebelsRoundtable, on Twitter at RebelsRound, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in, and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to the original Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report covering all things Rebels animated series. I'm Jonathan, and we're here to talk about Season 2 of Rebels. And joining me tonight, we have Jen. Hey, everybody. Barrent. Oh, it's good to be back, my friends. It's good to be back. And your friend and mine, Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. So tonight we're discussing the first official episode of Season 2, at least as they have it listed on iTunes. And this episode is The Lost Commanders, where we're introduced to some old friends. Before we get into the episode specific, I kind of wanted to get everybody's initial impressions. So why don't we start with ladies first? Jen, what did you think of this? I know you're a fan of the clones. Uh, I had preview syndrome that I had last time with the Clone Wars. This was something that occurred to me a lot during the Clone Wars series where I would see the preview. I would get super, super excited, probably place my expectations too high, and then get to the episode and be like, what is this? And that's kind of what happened with this episode. I think I probably should have not watched the preview and just let it roll over me and have no prejudgment because I was very grumpy during this episode. I thought it was silly and kind of useless and it was not what I had wanted for my clones. I did not want this to be their triumphant return. It felt really dumb. (laughs) Baron, what was your take on this one? Wow. Ouch. I was pretty excited to have the official return of the second season of Rebels. You know, we did get that taste, but it was very early in the year. We got Vader, you know, so I can understand where you're coming from a little bit, Jen, because I was expecting to see Vader. You know, we saw Ahsoka. Where's Vader? Because they kind of left it at with a cliffhanger with the little taste they gave us earlier. But I think we're going to have some interesting opinions on how we feel the clones have been portrayed. I mean, me, myself, I was pretty excited to see Captain Rex and Gregor and and Wolf. And see, I didn't know Wolf too well. It, you, you know, he wasn't like my favorite. He wasn't like a main character, kind of like Rex was. Like I think most people know who Rex is. And Gregor, I think people really have to go back to find out who Gregor is. But it was exciting to see them back. Uh, we're going to talk about their their living situation and how badass it is. <laughs> and um, it, it kind of started off a little slower. But I think as it picked up through the episode, I started getting more excited about what the next episode was going to be. So I was pretty excited. I was pretty happy. And Nathan. What about you? You know, I I think I had a trailer effect going on with this one, kind of like Jen was talking about, but in a slightly different way. This episode, she's right, it was kind of silly. There were moments of just, you're like, 
this is what the episode's going to be about? We're going to go hunt this big Jaws under the sand kind of thing? I was glad to see the clones back. I like these characters. Specifically, I like Rex and what they've done with Gregor, even though he's completely bat guano insane now. Wolf, I could sort of take or leave at this point. But I was kind of interested to see how are they going to bring them back? How will they work them into the Rebellion? Are they going to join the Rebellion? All kinds of things like that sort of running through my head once we saw the preview that they were going to be back. But the real emphasis of this episode was, dude, the clones are back! But that was already spoiled by the trailer. So it was kind of like the big reveal that should have really gotten me excited about this episode, since I already knew about it, that didn't play into whether I enjoyed it or not. And instead, it wound up feeling like a very flat episode. There are character moments that I love, one in this one, or one character thread in this one, and one in the follow-up episode that I loved. But otherwise, the episodes felt kind of flat. I guess I expected something more bombastic for the beginning of the season and for the return of the clones. And I think I'm going to have to echo a lot of what you guys have said. I think this episode, I was expecting more from it. I don't know exactly what, but I was expecting more than we got. And Nathan, I'm so glad that you referenced Jaws because that's something that screamed to me when they were uh, hunting the giant sandworm thing. This episode had me going through just a lot of sort of mixed emotions. Yeah, I was excited to see the clones back, but it it caused a lot of questions to come up, and I'm hoping that maybe we'll get the answers to some of them as the season goes on. First of all, clones are back, and I'm surprised, because the Empire seems like they kind of retired them and let them go, and that, that seems atypical, I guess, of what I would have expected the Empire to do. They've got them on this world where they have an old ATTE and they're going around like uh, three old fishermen. Then we have the characters. I mean, and they're not exactly the characters I would have thought would have ended up hanging out together. I mean, Wolf and Rex and then Gregor, who, if I'm not mistaken, the last time we saw was in that lovely uh, D-Squad arc as a clone commando who we all kind of thought maybe was dead? Well, I can give you some answers, possibly. Uh, I think it was back, actually, right around the time that the Abafar arc... Oh, <laughs> finally something to make it relevant, right? Kind of like the Puffer Pig and Lando coming back. I think that right around the time that that aired, I think it was Filoni that was talking in one of the little StarWars.com videos about how we don't actually see Gregor die, so Gregor could return... And he just never did within the span of the Clone Wars. So I think it was always sort of in the back of his mind that somehow Gregor would come back. I'm not sure the plan was always to have him come back kind of nuts. But then again, you spend that long on Abafar. I kind of got to wonder how long it's going to take you to tip that direction anyway. Uh, as to your question, though, about what happened with the clones and the stormtroopers, we find in story group canon, right, now everything is equal. Uh, we find, for instance, in uh, Smuggler's Run, which is the story of, of Han and Chewie in those uh, Force Friday character-specific books. And we find, actually, in a brief mention or two in Battlefront Twilight Company that comes out here in about a week, give or take, as of the time we're recording this, we find that there are still some clones serving within the Empire. Uh, in fact, the clones are the founding members of the Stormtrooper Corps when the Empire changes over from the Army of the Republic or the Grand Army of the Republic to this new military structure that's talked about a lot in Tarkin. Uh, what happened, though, apparently, according to 
Servants of the Empire of the Secret Academy that gives us the end, by the way, of Zare Leonis's story. Apparently, that's not going to happen on screen. It's done already. What we get is the, the explanation that the clones were great because they were bred to be warriors. The Jedi were bred into their skills, which made them great. Stormtroopers, not so much. They're recruited, which makes them less formidable. But they had to increase the ranks because of genetically engineered bioweapons. So the idea was that the Emperor, when he founds the Stormtrooper Corps, opens up recruitment to anyone within the Empire who is able to actually handle the training because they needed a diversified force so that unlike what the Separatists tried to do a couple times, there couldn't ever be one bioweapon that enemies of the Empire could use to take out the entire Stormtrooper Corps if they were all clones. Not to mention at this point that the clones are just older. I mean, they're basically 56 years old at this point, 28 chronologically, but they're 56. They've got that double lifespan speed. So those factors together made it so that, yes, there are still clones there. They're just not nearly as numerous as they once were. And, you know, that was also something, now that I think about it, that was brought up in, I believe it was Tarkin, wasn't it? That Vader had at least one clone serving in his group? I believe so, yeah. And... Also, now that I'm thinking about it, in Lords of the Sith, one of the uh, Emperor's Royal Guards was a clone. So, to the episodes itself, we start off with the remains of the Rebel fleet. We saw that on the last episode, the one where Vader really becomes involved, that they lost their command ship. And they're trying to deal with that now. They're trying to figure out what their next step would be. And Ezra proposes that they they kind of... Find a place to hide. Ahsoka suggests that they connect with a former military commander who may know of places where the Rebellion can sort of set up shop. This sets off the purpose of this episode, that the group is going to take the ghost and go search out Ahsoka's former clone companions. We don't know at this point that it's clones, and... You can tell that Ahsoka knows that Kanan may have an issue with it because she kind of reiterates several times, you have to trust him. No matter what, you have to trust him. And Ahsoka doesn't come with. She says she's going to investigate the Sith Lord, that there are questions that need to be answered. So, I don't know. As a setup, I I think this could have been better. What do you guys think? I think it's ridiculous that Ahsoka wouldn't warn Kanan, given his backstory. Like, it sounds like she knows, or at least has a strong inkling, that he's going to react badly to clones. And she blindsides him. She just sends him out there and says, trust me, it'll all be good. And, like, he's never going to feel good about just getting having clones open the door. And that's going to be his first, like, I, I don't understand her logic here. And it could have gone really badly. Because he had a very, very visceral reaction, and it would have been like, yeah, oops, sorry, Ahsoka, I killed them all. You know, I saw it a different way. I thought that, see, Filoni and company are playing a fine line with Ahsoka here. She doesn't go off on the missions with them. You know, it can't be the Clone Wars. This is Rebels. We have a whole new group of people we're supposed to like now. We all love Ahsoka. She's not going on the mission with them. She has to go do something else. There's that fine line. They're walking. and. As far as the setup goes, I think the setup was perfect. I mean, this is early on in the Rebellion. Who knows how many command ships they've lost? This might be the first command ship they've ever lost 
they were obviously using it as a semi base if they had other bases that may have been uh, discovered by now. But it's early on, you know, it makes kind of sense where Ahsoka hasn't had to really go after Rex. Maybe they haven't had to come up with this idea of finding a base, a place to kind of lay low and let the heat die down a little bit. So I thought the setup was pretty good myself. And it makes sense that some clones kind of would stick with Vader and some clones kind of would not. I mean, you can't really kill all the clones because they are a bunch of soldiers. You know, you can't old or not, they'll still fight you. And you just ended a war. You don't want that. So it makes kind of sense that maybe not for these three to get together, but for some clones to kind of band together and live their life. And that A-T-T-E, we're going to get into it, but I'm so excited about that. I mean, that's the best thing since sliced bread uh, to me when we get into the A-T-T-E. Okay, but Ahsoka tells them to go seek out the clone. She goes, well, I haven't tried everything. I mean, but Ahsoka, really, what have you tried? You sent a bunch of emails, and they haven't come back. But you know what planet they're on? I, it just didn't seem like that big no, she, a deal. She, wait, wait. she doesn't know what planet they're on, does she? She gets the tactical droid who's able to hunt them down, but she only knows, like, an approximate last known location for them. She doesn't know if they're on Celos still at this point. She doesn't know where on Celos they would be. She sends them. They, they fly right to the planet. No, no, no. They used the robot. The robot, yeah, they I think. Used, they used the tactical droid head when they flew down to Celos. Well, she did say that she knew where they were last, the last time she had contact with them. So it wasn't like she hasn't had any contact with them since. But she said the last time I knew of his whereabouts, it was on this planet. So they just logically went. But, you know, I want to hit on the point where Ahsoka was kind of like a jerk by not telling Kanan. Ahsoka's kind of moving into this Jedi master role, or at least, a, you know, she's not a Padawan, obviously. She's kind of a Jedi trying to be a Jedi master. So by her not telling Kanan, you know, Jedis are always kind of jerks, and they're always kind of trying to teach and set up people for things. So this was kind of a lesson, I think, that I think she thought Kanan needed to to learn. I don't know. I kind of feel, maybe we'll get into it in later episodes, but as far as, like, Jedi and Ahsoka, I'm not sure. I always got the impression that she's kind of rejected the Jedi heritage, the Jedi ways, that she's kind of going on her own path. kind of feel like she should have been able to find him if she had gone to the planet, perhaps, because she knows him and can maybe reach out to the Force and try to find him. But if she's going off to find Vader, it makes sense that it's really not an easy thing to try to find these guys on the planet. I mean, I know is that, well sent them straight to the planet, and the droid led them right to them. Well, yeah, but remember, we knew a last known location for Osama bin Laden, and we narrowed it down to a region of the world and couldn't find him for years, right? I mean, it's kind of, we're thinking in Star Wars terms of, well, everybody knows where everybody is, it seems, and the technology makes the world so small, but not really. I mean, they were on an entire planet and had to be found. Uh, I will say, with Kanan... I like where they went with it with Kanan. It shows his maturity that he's able to accept these guys eventually, um, but that at first he has that visceral reaction because of the trauma that he went through. We've talked about this before, about his character building in the time between when he was Caleb Doom, the Padawan, all the way up until now. Uh, I think after what he went through, in referencing the last Padawan, uh, after what he went through with Styles and Gray, and 
watching his master get cut down. I actually wasn't sure. I had, I had to go back and check and make sure he actually saw that because I thought he was running away at the time. And sure enough, he had turned his, his head back just enough to see it. So at least they're being more accurate here than the last thing she said to me was run. Actually, the last thing she said was go. I'll be right behind you. But you got the gist of it, Kanan. It just seems to me that they're playing all of Kanan's emotional beats pretty much pitch perfect here. He's got the initial reaction. He's got the distrust that continues, but slowly wanes as his maturity and his position as a leader finally start to kind of come to the fore throughout here. I almost think that Ahsoka was testing him to an extent to see where he stands as a Jedi Knight. I mean, they've seen and talked about Kanan in action, but to what degree has she actually been able to see and really get an assessment of Kanan? Um, I think what we're going to find is that she's going to slowly sort of take on a role of trying to guide Kanan as much as Kanan's trying to guide Ezra, or at least to some extent. And this could just be the first step in that long process to give him a chance to really think about it. Or she just assumed that he was going to say, screw it, clones, I'm out of here, because he was ready to walk at the beginning of Siege of Lothal, too. That was the other thing that I, I mean, jumping back a little bit, Kanan does seem like he's kind of bought into the rebellion more than what we saw in the la- the last episode. Seems to be a bit more of a team player now. Well, have you seen Ahsoka's costume? Nice. Real nice. Hair has been kind of ice cold to him lately, so, you know, you know how that works. All of a sudden, Ahsoka's wearing more clothes than she did as a Padawan. What happened? <laughs> So, they get to the planet, they use the tactical droid to find the ATTE moving through the desert, and I have to admit, when I saw that world, I was like, oh god, this isn't the world from Sunny Day in the Void, is it? I I, I kind of I clenched up there, because I'm <laughs> like, I, please, no, don't bring us back there. And I'll tell you, my boys both are like, is that from Sunny Day in the Void? And I'm like, I, I hope not. I had the same reaction. It was like, oh, God, oh, please, no. Especially since I knew Gregor was going to be in this. It was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) They encounter the clones, and as Nathan said, they've aged. They are, you know, they look like, as Ed puts it, a bunch of old geezers. Did you like the way they look? Did you like how they, you know, were kind of wearing parts of the armor, and it almost looked like maybe they couldn't fit in the clone armor, all of it anymore? I thought they looked fine. Like, I didn't want them to be, like, you know, have, like, a big paunch and be tottering around. So I thought this was a good blend between, we have an old guy, but this old guy had been this total butt-kicking trooper for years and years of his life. So they're, like, they're not quite as, you know, fit as they used to be, but it looks like they're still keeping themselves healthy. I actually really liked that Rex and some of the others had, like, freckles all over their faces, like they'd been in the sun a lot. I thought that was actually a really cool little detail that the design team put on them. I like the fact that they were wearing armor, so you can kind of recognize who they were. I don't under- quite understand why they look the way they do, and let me tell you why. These are genetically altered super soldiers. Why are they fat? They could be old, but aren't they supposed to be genetically superior to a normal human? So their muscles, why would their muscles deteriorate to the point where they would be obese and fat? They look like three Santa Clauses. They could have looked a little tougher. I think the point was for them to immediately like them and smile. They do, they, they smile a hell of a lot. I've never seen a clone smile as much as these clones smile, but I don't understand why they got big. 
they're supposed to be genetically superior. That should have kept them thin. And and Sanui, there's old people that don't aren't fighting wars, but they they're still healthy looking. You know what I'm saying? Well, Barrett, it's not that they were genetically superior. They were bred off Django Fett. They had the skill set, but they were never genetically superior. They were genetically altered to be, I guess, more accepting of direction and certain other things. But I don't think they messed with their, I guess, physical profile at all. They they didn't breed them to have super strength. They were they were typical humans, and humans in their sixties early 70s, you know, things happen, man. And as much as you'd like to say, hey, you know what, they they shouldn't look like that. I, I guess that part was believable to me. I, I think I'm not entirely sure I liked the the look of them altogether. And maybe it's just the how they look in the animated style when we're so we're so used to them uh, back from the Clone Wars style. But as far as like, you know, 65, 68 year old men, maybe looking a little bit more rounder. I, that part was believable to me. And the ATTE looked a little bit rounder. <laughs> How cool. Like, can we get into the ATTE? Cause I've been trying to bring it up this whole time. How cool was that ATTE? I know when they started fishing for the big caterpillar in the, in the desert, it kind of reminded me of like water world. Or any type of Mad Max apocalyptic where you had to, you know, reuse the parts as you get them and, you know, the steam coming off of it and they turned into living quarters. I give me a toy, please give me a toy. This is another example of how Rebels is taking things from the Clone Wars that were not as cool and are making them cool. This show is making Clone Wars cooler than what it used to be by bringing the, the, these things over here and making them work. That was something that I found was interesting. I did like the look of it. I mean, it was kind of like an adapted ATTE. They've turned it into they've they've changed it from a tank to more of a uh, roving apartment. Again, kind of looking to Jaws for some inspiration. It was very reminiscent of the Orca. And was it steam-powered now? I mean, you saw the, I, I guess, chimneys or the smokestacks on it, and I couldn't really tell. It was, it was interesting. It looked steam-powered to me, based on what we saw there. I saw it, my thought wasn't Jaws, because I haven't seen Jaws in many, many years. My immediate thought was, it's the train at the end of Back to the Future, or it's them trying to get the DeLorean to work back in 1885. It's, it's the retrofitting... I don't know. I thought it was an interesting way to do it, to give them that roving headquarters to explain why they wouldn't have been easy to track down and so forth. And these are men bred for war and they want to go out on their own. They're not going to live, you know, in a nice little apartment somewhere type of thing. At the same time, that's one of the things about this episode that started to make me feel, well, this is a little silly because it was all kind of duded up like it's their cabana house. It's like, everybody, come on in, have a good time. I don't know. It it worked, but it was a little silly. Still not nearly the silliest stuff we've seen from Star Wars, but a little silly. It might be some of the silliest stuff that we've seen from Rebels. This now, now, thing- the puffer pig. <laughs> I said some of, not the. This kind of thing always throws me out of the episode, and I wish, I kind of wish I could take this away as like a personality trait. Um, but like, I always wonder, it's like, what are they powering this thing with? They They don't have any food. They're reduced to eating the, the worms from Tremors, apparently, uh, for, for food. And this thing 
this energy intensive walker is wandering around this desolate there's nothing there like I, I don't know it was a cool idea it did seem very like water world and or some postal op apocalyptic thing like the mad max of star wars or something but like it doesn't make any sense wouldn't you have thought solar power on this planet i mean wouldn't it have been something to you know, and maybe they're on there and i just didn't notice them but wouldn't you figure that the top of that thing would be lined with solar panels of some kind some extremely efficient star warsy solar panels that are way more efficient than ours would have made sense these guys are bear, bear grills Okay, they're all bear grills. They've been in worse situations. They're they're living in retirement heaven right now. now. For all we know, they're still getting supplies, or they've hid something in here before they decided to, you know, uh, make their that planet their home. But it didn't take me out at all. Are they getting imperial social security checks? What? He, they're Who getting some kind of supplies. What their retirement plan is. <laughs> Look at Gregor. Gregor's wearing a, a tank top or whatever it is that has the symbol on it of the place he used to work on Abafar. <laughs> I missed that. That's okay. awesome. <laughs> what I want to know is when we left the clones, part of of some of the unfinished stories were about uh the clone who got his chip taken out and he went kind of crazy, right? Did you, is that why Gregor's crazy and kind of Wolf is crazy because their chips are out and it kind of messes with their head, but it didn't seem to affect Rex as, as much. I didn't see that as as any kind of rationale behind what they were what they were doing, how their personalities changed. I assume Gregor, the, the way that Dave Filoni talked about it in the Rebels Recon thing was, you know, this guy went through an explosion that he probably shouldn't have survived. And he and he was on Abafar and he came out kind of whack. As far as Wolf, it seemed like in Wolf's case, he was sort of beaten down uh, over time as far as, you know, just trying to stay away from the Empire. It's why he didn't show Rex the emails, so to speak, or the messages. It's why, you know, he's going to contact the Empire and bring them down on all their heads because he's he wants to stay under the radar as much as he can as far as drawing Imperial attention to himself and so on. The the only thing we really got here as far as the chip goes is we got confirmation that Rex eventually does believe what Fives had said, and at least some of the clones, maybe just these three, it sounds like more, went in and had their chips surgically removed and then when Order 66 came, they actually had a choice. And it sounds by what he says that not everybody necessarily made the choice not to kill their Jedi. That these three didn't. Or I guess two. And as far as we know, Gregor wasn't back with a Jedi or anything. But these guys didn't. And walked away. In fact, we know this now, at least with Wolf. Because Plo Koon, the Jedi that... Or the Jedi, the clone that kills him in Revenge of the Sith, wasn't Wolf. It was confirmed that, you know, it's not like he got a new eye or something that actually wasn't Wolf that did it. I just kind of saw that as their way of saying, this is how we got past Order 66. This is why Rex and them are not actually bad guys now. This is why you can trust them. That question answered. And that was it. And everything else was defined by their circumstances. There was one scene where they first meet and Wolf pulls the gun on, on him and he's like, it's a Jedi. It's a Jedi. It's almost like the, the Order 66 was still trying to kick in. And Which that's what we saw with Fives, right? With the, with that whole arc about the organic microchips. Like when they took him out, the whole thing was they get aggressive or, or something happens to him. So I, I kind of got that. And didn't you notice that every time Gregor was acting really crazy, the camera would turn to the side where he got the chip taken out? Now about Wolf, I took it a little differently. And it's funny, Nathan, that you, make it sound that maybe Wolf didn't participate in Order 66 because 
He pulls his gun immediately when he realizes Kanan's a Jedi but and starts you, firing you got, because you guys he goes, are missing the reason. Hold on, let me finish. Let me finish. He goes, they're here for revenge. So revenge on what? I mean, what did he do? On the clones in general. There's nothing saying that he, they're looking for revenge against Wolf. And in fact, Rex says they, I'm pretty sure it was Rex that says that they didn't kill the Jedi, that these guys didn't. But here they are. They're expecting any Jedi in the galaxy to want revenge on any clone in That's the galaxy, how, which is basically what Kanan is pulling here. There's, as even according to Filoni, Wolf doesn't kill Plo Koon. Wolf doesn't kill his Jedi. He has the choice thanks to the chip. I'm gonna have to. I, I, I'm and 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 not to beat a dead horse, but I think that Jonathan is onto something there. I think that Wolf probably killed somebody, killed the Jedi because he thought that the Jedi were definitely coming for revenge. And why, like you said, why would they come for revenge if you didn't do anything? If you're one of the clones that Ahsoka and, and some other people can vouch for, you know, you took that chip out. But I think maybe Wolf did kill somebody. You know, that's, I think you're onto something there, Jonathan. The other thing that's said that I find interesting is Rex says, these aren't the Jedi that betrayed us. Betrayed us. us. Mm-hmm. No, 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 that's not what he says. He doesn't say these aren't the Jedi that betrayed us. He said it wasn't the Jedi who betrayed us, as in it wasn't the Jedi who betrayed us. We betrayed them, or the Empire betrayed them. He's not saying these aren't this group of Jedi that betrayed us. There was this other group of Jedi that betrayed us. Not the same thing. I guess I'd have to go back and watch that, because I may have, I interpreted that differently. I'm with Nathan on this one. I took it as the clones are leery of the Jedi, because any Jedi who's left would have been a survivor of order 66 and would therefore be probably heavily prejudiced against clones like Kanan. So it makes sense to me that like, they've never seen this guy before. He's going to probably hold a grudge because maybe a handful at best of Jedi wouldn't or would know differently, but there there are hundreds of Jedi and most of them were probably betrayed by their clones. So it makes sense that they would be terrified. I found the line. I was able to pull it up with the iTunes episode here. It's, they weren't the ones who betrayed us. It's not even, they weren't the Jedi who betrayed us. The word Jedi is not in the sentence. They're basically, Rex is basically saying the Jedi, theoretically here, weren't the ones that betrayed them. He says, they're Jedi. They weren't the ones who betrayed us. See, I think, I think it's open for interpretation. I think that it's not open to interpretation. Well, everything is. But I think it's clearly that some Jedi went after them. And Wolf is spooked from that. And Rex clearly says, they aren't the ones that betrayed us. So I'm thinking, there's another story back here. How they got away, and maybe some Jedi helped them, and maybe some Jedi decided they weren't going to help. Who knows? But I think there's some backstory there. I don't think it's as simple as, as, as you're making it out. I agree there's backstory I'd like to know. I don't agree with the interpretation. But I'm assuming we need to move on. We do. Jonathan's like, come on! (laughs) Back to the episode itself. (laughs) Once they get over the initial issue, and Ezra is really kind of the peacemaker here, and he trusts, he takes Ahsoka at her word and trusts the clones implicitly. He tries to recruit Rex, Wolf, and Gregor to joining the cause, to which they basically say no, that their war is over, but they might be willing to give them the locations of some bases. And Gregor comes up with the idea that if they're going to give them the bases, maybe the rebels can help them catch dinner. By using Zeb as bait. I believe Cooney is appropriate here. Stupid! You're so stupid! 
God! All right. Now, I have to admit, this is ridiculous. <laughs> okay. I have, to, I have to admit, using Zeb as live bait to, what did you say, Jen? The Tremors worms? To get that, why Filoni? I mean, just when you're starting to like, man, he's never going to gask on us again. We have to go fishing for worm food. <laughs> okay. I literally just laughed out loud here with the mute on. Baron's sigh just said it all. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it, it, it is, it's, it's ridiculous. And how they catch this jupa is, I'm sorry, it, it doesn't fit. This, this is Ewoks level. Now, the only saving grace, the only thing I can think of the reason why we have this scene, and stay with me here, we have to show how tough the ATTE is for the next episode. Because I think that if we didn't show how tough it was and it could take a pounding and it's a, still a tough old bird, I don't think it would be as believable in the next episode what it has to do. So I, I think that's the only reason we have this scene. And the fact that we're still seeing how I love the fact that the clones want to keep calling Kane in general. You know, they want general. I'm sorry, captain. You know, they want to, they're so into the war. They say they're not into the war, but they're still, as soon as some fighting or some excitement happens, they go right back into it. And I love how they keep trying to call him general. At least, and this was my fear when we got into the next episode, my fear was that they were going to somehow use the dead carcass against the empire. I was like, oh God, no. And thankfully they didn't. But that's how ridiculous it was that I was thinking that could actually be a logical thing to happen. You know, this whole sequence was goofy. And and the other thing that I thought, okay, this thing took Zeb into its mouth. And then when they finally pull it up to the surface and they fire the main cannon, I'm like, well, God, I hope they didn't, didn't kill Zeb because they fired at its mouth. No, this is this whole thing. I had my hands in the air. It was just like, why, Filoni? Why? Like, what is this? The whole thing was like, there was no logic. It was like someone... It was like Lucas with like some of the silly choices that he makes with Jar Jar for like really slapstick physical comedy. Like I think he, I don't know who wrote this, but I don't know if they thought it was going to be funny or or what. That's like, but it doesn't make sense. Like they're yeah, they're shooting this thing in the mouth where Zeb went, where they tricked him into getting eaten by a Tremors worm. Like what? Like why is this here? <laughs> like I was promised this awesome clone episode, and instead we're eating worms and what like this and, was and the ultimate sin just, is they don't even eat the worm they, they don't do anything with it they, it they don't the use it to power <laughs> they don't use it to power the vehicle they don't use it they don't eat it they don't do anything with it it's so it, it's like showing the gun in the beginning of the zombie movie and never using the gun i will say i think i know why they were shooting it in the mouth though because the mouth as i recall wasn't it yellow and isn't that where you shoot video game monsters if we're looking for logic here, we're not going to find it. But as this is all going on, we find out a little bit later in the episode that Wolf has contacted the Empire and let them know that Jedi are there. He, he gives them up because he doesn't want to get in trouble. He doesn't want to bring the Empire down on him. And this kind of comes out that not only did Wolf sell out Kanan, Ezra, and the rest... He's also been keeping Ahsoka's communications from Rex. He really, he wants nothing to do with it. I mean, I think when you look at the three of them, Rex seems pretty well adapted to what's going on. I mean, as you said, Nathan, Gregor's completely bug nuts. But Wolf, 
Wolf shows some real PTSD symptoms here. Wolf is a traitor, and he should get a lightsaber through the abdomen. I mean, what else could you have? What? Benedict Arnold Wolf. What the wolf, Wolf? Oh, man. See, I would have agreed with Barrent until what Jonathan just said. Because he gets forgiven really fast. And without really any kind of penance, any kind of like redemption moment, it's just sort of a, well, he made a mistake. Pat him on the back and everything just kind of moves on. Uh, when there should be enough time to at least scold the guy and be angry beyond Kanan saying something and everybody telling Kanan to basically back off. But I think Jonathan's got, I mean, it seems like maybe it's not beaten down, as I said before. Maybe it's actual trauma that Wolf has gone through and Wolf is experiencing some form of either PTSD or whatever. He, he certainly seems more scarred than, well, it depends on if you count being nuts scarred for Gregor. But of the two that appear sane on the surface, he has a lot deeper issues going on than Rex seems to by far. He ratted them out. I mean, I think we're being a little too easy on Wolf here. He ratted them out. They could have died because of him. And I don't think any of us think that what he did was right, but I think it's a symptom of something deeper going on. Because when the Empire is kind of reviewing his communication, they say, well, this one has made a lot of false reports in the past. So there's something... I mean, something happened to Wolf. Yeah, he's snitching on Jedi. No, and I'm, that's I'm why saying, he's scared of him coming back for revenge because he's been no, telling on him for he's a all, long time. Barrett is all snitches get stitches, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're like living like hermits. Like there probably is a reason they're not living with society. And I do wonder if Wolf is part of that because, like, he's super trigger happy and jumpy and absolutely paranoid. Like that seems suspicious i'm I'm with jonathan something happened that was not good to him and that facial hair pattern <laughs> never trust yeah okay <laughs> the empire decides i mean agent callus is on the star destroyer that gets the message because why not and he decides to send a probe to investigate that all leads must be followed and they send this probe that the group miraculously fails to notice because I think Kanan is going on about his own trauma with and history with the clones. And the probe droid not only spies on them, it it moves to do what with the Phantom? Is it trying to sabotage it? Is it trying to get the data out of it? What what was it doing in there? Well it screwed something up, right? Because they can't take off immediately. No. That's what I thought the first time I saw it. But actually, when they discover it and it starts firing back, it hits the Phantom's engine. And that's why they can't leave. Oh, that's true. That's true. So it was just slinking around gathering information, presumably. You would figure that... And this goes into my issue also with the next episode, but you would figure if they're going to send the probe droid, it's looking for suspicious rebel activity and would be trying to link up what it's seeing with known rebels, so maybe it's trying to determine if the Phantom is the same ship that, say, they saw, you know, zipping away at the end of Call to Action or something from the communications tower. The whole idea of the Imperials being able to recognize a known rebel vessel when it's in front of them based on all the data they supposedly have is going to be an issue I have with the next one, but it's... maybe that's what it's trying to do? 
Maybe we'll find out in a future episode that it puts something into the computer. So maybe the, you know, the inquisitors can find him or something. So, you know, very few things get left unsolved or left hanging with Filoni. So I kind of want to believe that it wasn't just a throwaway scene that there, we may find out later what that pro droid was doing. Perhaps, but I kind of tell you this episode kind of left me flat and it does, the episode does end here. We get a to be continued as Rex manages to take a shot and take out the probe droid, but they realize that A, the group is stranded and B, the empire is coming. And we ought to mention, we, I don't think we even mentioned it earlier. The reason they're stranded, it's not just the damage to the phantom. The ghost has had malfunctions up in orbit, which is why it didn't come down itself when they were trying to meet these guys. So the ghost is incapacitated, and now the Phantom is. So it's a double whammy. Convenient breakdowns. But before we end this episode, there there are some changes to the group. I'm not sure how much is different, and I'll have to go back and look at the last episode, but I think all the characters have some some differences, from well, certainly from first season. Yeah, I think there's a few changes we need to talk about. I think... One of the main glaring changes is Sabine. I think that with her hair, her hair is a nice colored blue, kind of a faded blue into black. And in the first season, she had that orangish red hair. And I think there are some differences to Sabine's armor, too, as far as the painting goes. Still no jetpack. Wondering when she's going to find that one. But uh, with some of the previews, it looks like she's going to be in contact with some Mandalorians, so we may end up getting a jetpack for Sabine. And I think the only other thing I noticed was that Ezra has a scar. Ezra's scar was there last time, as was the scorch marker, slice mark on the, I guess I call it, what, a pauldron, the shoulder armor um, for Kanan. But you're right, I seeing so many previews, my initial thought was, well, of course, some of Sabine's changes must have happened last episode in Siege of Lothal. But no, Siege of Lothal, she had her season one hair color, she had the season one painting on the armor, and now she's at least got a new shoulder plate, some slight changes to the chest plate, and the helmet's going to be, is undergoing changes, or is about to undergo changes, and the big one, yeah, her hair color has significantly changed. So I guess at this point, we're assuming they're on... You know, the 2.0 model, which is nice, right? Because it took a long time before Clone Wars upgraded from sort of the, the level one version of the model. They tweaked them a little bit, but to get a sort of version two of a character took us into, what, middle of third season? And here we are, beginning of second, and we're already getting some, some upgrades and changes. And in Sabine's case, ones that make sense because of her armor getting damaged back last time. Not only does her armor look different... I get a different sense from her. She seems, and this could just be me completely projecting, she seems a little bit more mature this season than last season. And also, even though there were very few interactions, I get a sense that maybe her relationship with Ezra has changed a little bit. He can show you the world. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, enough with the Ezra with the with the googly eyes at Sabine. I mean, if that was one thing they were going to drop, thank goodness they dropped it. I mean, get out of here with all that. Oh, I don't know. The the Epic Battles second visual guide talks about how her feelings toward Ezra had changed. I really think they're saying, instead of being dismissive toward him as a little kid, that she accepts him as a member of the crew and a member of the family, 
but there's always that chance the the new visual guide only does go through next episode. On that note, we'll have to come back and see what next episode brings. I want to thank you guys for joining me and discussing this, and I'm looking forward to covering all of Season 2 with my Rebels Roundtable compatriots. Well, it was good to be back, and I can't wait till next week, guys. We'll finish up this arc, or to be continued. What is this? Is it still called an arc? Well, we'll discuss that next one, next episode. See you next time. Watch out for Jupas. And I have nothing creative to say, so later, guys. So until next week, long live the Rebellion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit republicforces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved.